and welcome to TLF Gems, a podcast about customer experience and insight from TLF Research. I'm Stephen Hampshire. And I'm Greg Roche. In this episode, we'll be discussing Chapter 16 of our book, Customer Satisfaction. Chapter 16 is about involving employees, which follows neatly on from using surveys to drive improvement for the obvious reasons that it is often the employees, if not nearly all the time, the employees that are going to make that improvement happen. Interestingly, the chapter, having sort of looked at it, Stephen, um, is probably probably more one of the dated chapters in, in terms of when the book was written. And it talks about mirror surveys, which I think we'll talk about because it's a very interesting concept that's probably still underutilized. But I think this is really a growth area you know in terms of post survey um worked you know since the book has been written mm. yeah well i think we've just found in that time that clients uh, are more and more coming to us and asking for i guess either help or advice in, in making that step from here are the survey results here's what we think you should do and yeah. the reality of change actually happening and i think I, in a nutshell the way i tend to think about that is Initially, we were, were always a bit resistant because we thought, well, we're researchers. We, we want to stay neutral and you know, it's not our job to tell you how to do your job. And that's very much still the case. But I think increasingly what, what I've come to understand, I think collectively we all have, yeah. is that what works best is if you can pull together our understanding of customers from doing the research and insight work with frontline employees understanding and people throughout the businesses understanding of how they do their jobs and and you know where that's an efficient process and where there are kind of bottlenecks in it so it's, it's never a case of us saying here's how you should do your jobs better it's saying this is what customers see here's what you see and if we put those two things together that opens up opportunities to to do things better yeah i i, I think even perhaps perhaps one of the things that, that we could have mentioned in a previous chapter is this sort of data insight action pyramid where at the bottom there's all this data that leads to a certain amount of insight, which then leads to the actionability. And it's very easy as a researcher to be involved in the data. And you know, once you get involved with the organization to draw some insight from, you know, from that, some real business management mm -hmm. insight. And then it's moving into this actionability bit, which we talked about in the previous chapter, but is really about okay, you know, how do we involve in you know in, in employees in this? Um, should we talk a little bit about the old mirror survey and then sort of work work our way into perhaps some of the more sort of re recent things? Because I think, as you say, as people, as we've done more surveys and, you know, you may have been doing this for 20 years now, you, you, whilst you can't tell people what to do, you can tell them that this process worked well in other organizations, that when they got the survey results, these are the actions they put in place, communicating results to customers, to employees, involving employees, and here's different ways that people have done it. So it is something where we can offer um, successful sort of um, process mapping or facilitation things to help people um, do what is really the most difficult part of, you know, of the process, driving change, involving employees, that sort of stuff. Let, let's have a reflection. There's a bit of a pun here. Let's have a reflection and talk about mirror surveys. <laughs> yeah. So the mirror survey, which it, we've called it different things at different times, uh, but, but a mirror survey in a nutshell is a very quick and easy survey to understand what do, what do our staff think customers are going to say in the customer survey. 
Yeah. So you effectively, you know, copy and paste all the list of requirements from the customer survey, put them in a web survey, send that out to all your staff and ask them to say, how important do you think customers are going to think all these things are and how satisfied do you think customers are going to be with all these things? Yeah, and the crucial bit of that is you're getting staff to say how important they think customers are going to say this is and how satisfied they think customers are not whether they as staff think they're important or whether they're satisfied mm. that's the crucial bit yeah so what you end up with is a, a sort of quantitative measure of the the accuracy with which our staff can understand customers so how are they do they understand customers priorities correctly and do they understand where they think our strengths and weaknesses are so Personally, when I'm doing it, I, I tend to look more at the kind of order rather than have you precisely said it's going to be 7.6 out of 10. But yeah. do you have a rough idea of where where are the priorities, where are the strengths and weaknesses? There are probably some generalizations we, we can share about what we tend to see, yeah. which is by and large, frontline staff have a more accurate view of how customers feel than people who are further away from customers, which is nice to be able to quantify. Again, it's probably a massive surprise, but probably worth reiterating by and large frontline staff get it right and senior managers get it less right that's a very good choice of words one of the other generalizations is and this comes i think as a pleasant surprise to the organization whilst completely yes look, look at the order of the priorities it might not be about the scoring but on the satisfaction side usually and i'd be saying perhaps nine times out of ten here staff think customers are less <laughs> satisfied than indeed they are and it comes as a pleasant surprise that everyone isn't rating the deliveries or the complaints as two out of ten and you quickly get this picture that actually as staff the communications that you hear on these things you know we all see the cracks in our own wallpaper this is what i hear customers complaining about what you don't realize is there's a silent majority out there who think you're really good at this <laughs> i found it can be a really positive message for staff and in terms of supporting the pfi saying well it's not going to come as a surprise that we identified these priorities for improvement in fact we all thought that was the area customers were going to say would be a priority for improvement or where customers were less satisfied but you know what they're not as dissatisfied as we all thought because there's a portion of people here who are satisfied and actually that's a really good starting point because now we can start looking at the ones who are satisfied what are they experiencing that the others that the others aren't and that makes it i think quite quite actionable as well yeah it's one of those things where it, it's all kind of limited use but it is very useful and it's relatively easy and cheap so I think it's an underused tool, actually. No, um, if you were to just look at it as a standalone survey, it, it's, it's got far less insight in it than a customer survey does. But what it does do is, is give you that, that one measurement of kind of how accurate are our people's perceptions. And it's, it's actually a very useful tool for getting people bought into the customer survey, because you can sort of start off by going, here's what you think customers think, and here's how they actually think. and that can be quite a positive message as you're saying the satisfaction scores are almost always higher than people think they're going to be and, and yeah in particular it's often on the, the things that we're very aware of because they cause all the complaints actually most customers most of the time think this is pretty good it's just that we get all the pain from where it, when it goes wrong yeah and and where you're saying about your frontline staff usually have a better sense of the customer priority, whether it's because of co-creation or, or whatever the reason, that makes perfect sense. 
even if you have a simple question on the questionnaire, you know, if you were in charge of this business, what one thing would you do to make customers more satisfied? You always get a gold nugget, often more than that, from a member of staff who just says, I would change this. And it's usually such a small, easy thing to change. But when someone puts it in the context of, it's not like an employee survey where you're talking about your relationship with your organization or your boss or, or tools to do the job or recognition or whatever it is. You know, it, it, it's it's a thing that just is so simple to do. And actually, if you had a hundred of these really simple things to do, you would make a real difference to the customer experience. And they're often cheap, easy, and no one knows why you can't do that anyway, because that's a bit daft. <laughs> Yeah, well, this is it. I think when you do get those ideas from, from frontline stuff, they're often very practical. I think that's the yeah. beauty of it. If you ask customers that question, that can be interesting, but you tend to get airy-fairy, you know, pie-in-the-sky stuff. When you ask people at the frontline, it tends to be, you know, give me a computer that works or, or take away this ridiculous process that's a bit broken or da-da-da. Practical, yeah. tangible things that, that are actually a bit of a no-brainer. It's just that the channels... And not always there for turning those um, irritations of the front line in, into improvements. Yeah, and, and this survey gives an opportunity to have a channel to you know a, you know a, a, a channel to do that. I mean, the ultimate way of involving employees would be getting them bonused on customer satisfaction. What's what's your view on bonusing staff on on this measurement? Yeah, um, so we, we we did do a whole podcast on on the idea of sort of targets um, and bonuses based on, on those targets, didn't we? I broadly think it's a good-ish idea. Um, so is that caveated enough for you? Um, <laughs> I think it, it, it was caveats it, on the caveats of that. <laughs> so you have to um, you have to be aware that whenever you target something, and particularly if you put a financial reward on it. There are unintended consequences. So people will be led towards gaming is a strong word, but but you know, they'll be focused on the getting the score high rather than making customers happier. And that's a sort yeah. of natural output of that. Yeah. So the, well, the, the 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 benefit of it is that it's a way it's a it's a signal you can send to say this really matters. So you know, if you if you bonus people on sales and you know if all your messaging is customer is king customer with customer focused company but then all your financial messaging is about sales and acquisition rather than retention let's say then that's potentially a conflicting message so it is a way you can send a message to say actually we are focused on customer experience and retention that's really important to us and therefore we're going to put a literal value on it yeah, I thought you were going to say it has a high symbology factor there, um, which which, That's which not a word obviously does. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, who needs words? Um, I think the, the there is a whole there's a half an hour um, um, webinar that that I do on relating it to bonuses, and a bit like yourself you have to have caveats around the place but when it works and if it's simple and people can relate it to their actions and people can get into the mindset of if i do the actions the scores will be right rather than let me try and falsely get the scores right not in necessarily doing things in a bad way or trying to take shortcuts but i you know i i i think in terms of evolving a culture 
it wouldn't be something I'd usually recognize or, or recommend year one for an organization. I'd start getting the PFIs going, start getting the culture going. And perhaps it's something that's brought in perhaps, you know, years three to five to say, hold on, we're going on this now. And now we really want to drive up at, because it needs to be sat within the the right culture, not the wrong culture. Yeah. yeah. My view is, you know, measurement drives behavior. It does. And the dark side of that is it drives behaviors you don't want. So it will drive some of the behaviors you do want and some behaviors you don't want. And it's just a case of managing that. Yeah, I, yeah, I, 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 absolutely, absolutely. Another bit where I sort of think the book is a little bit sort of outdated is it does talk about internal customers. Because um, mm. more and more as, as, as sort of, you know, departments are, are becoming flatter and fewer, um, that often those customer facing staff it's a support they get from inside the organization. And um, and sometimes that's more senior people or levels or, or and that sort of stuff. And I think it's a really good way of flipping it around saying, okay, well, this thing, external customer satisfaction, internal customer satisfaction, you know, and if you think back to the whole service profit chain and Professor Heskett and, and all that sort of stuff, it matters, I was gonna say it matters so much. It's really vital as well that, that the, external customer facing staff have the right support what is it that they need to be given by these internal people and actually who should be defining that well perhaps we should be letting the customer facing staff saying what they need because i actually need to be able to do this quickly for the customer or i need this those other things you give me i never actually ever use um and i think that, you know and i think again organizations who we've both worked with for a long period of time Again, as the culture starts going and involving employees, they see this as a way of involving other employees by saying, hold on, we need your help. <laughs> so, you know, sometimes doing it like an internal employee survey, you know, you know, in, 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 often in many cases, but certainly in, in terms of the communication, you know, we're your customer in this. We need your help to help the customer. Yeah. yeah, and I think you know that internal customer concept is, is remains very valid, and and it's probably is, still underutilized, Stephen. That's still I, still really underutilized. I think it is, and I think you know the logic of if I'm the, the internal hierarchy of organisations often means that customer facing staff are you know relatively low paid, relatively you know low in in a sort of old-fashioned looking hierarchy yeah a very operational function probably more operational right. yeah. and that that often means that when they need support they end up effectively going sort of cap in hand to a department who who seem much more important and high paid and and so on than they are which is obviously wrong so there's you know lo loads of people in the world of customer service have noticed this for a long long time this is not new to me to, to notice this but this whole idea of turning the pyramid upside down and saying, you know, the most important yeah. person is the customer. The next most important person is the person dealing with the customer and dot, 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 down to the yeah. tip of the pyramid, which is the chief exec, who is the least important person if we've literally turned the pyramid upside down. But in terms of organization, organizing the support upwards, he's mm. going to be big and strong because there's only one of him, but he has to push that pyramid upwards. He has a lot of weight on him. But it's about, well, as all the leadership direction, but it's the support mechanism that's behind, um, uh, you know, uh, you know, uh, absolutely, uh, uh, you know. Uh.
I just couldn't agree, just couldn't, uh, uh, you know, agree more. And I guess this is one of these cultural things where you do see, you know, the roles, the objectives, the targets um, that people are given and set, um, but particularly sort of perhaps middle management level, you know, traditionally might be one of the blocking levels. Senior managers get this, middle managers, mm. you know, you know, perhaps they moved up from operational and they, you know, they, they sometimes have the, you know, the wrong view of operational and, and certainly the wrong view of what their current role is in leading operational stuff. Um, but yeah, inverting that pyramid, uh, you know, it's been talked about for many, many years. Yeah, when it comes to the role of, of sort of middle managers in particular, I guess, personally, and this is a personal opinion, but my view is that there is still far too much of a kind of command and control approach to management in most organisations that and managers see their role as overseeing what their staff are doing and telling their staff what to do and then you know measuring whether their staff are doing it as opposed to effectively coaching them and, and supporting them and enabling them to do a good job which is it, it, that might sound a bit semantic but i think there's a, a totally uh, different mindset at work there's a guy called john Seddon who writes really really well about management particularly in the public sector and sort of stripping out that command and control approach um, who I would strongly recommend to anyone who, who wants to read about stuff like that. So perhaps just to end the the chapter, then we we've sort of said this. It's probably quite a dated one. What's happened since we've since the book was written in terms of new ways of involving new ways of involving employees? I think the big one for me, and I, I guess I kind of alluded to this at the beginning, is more of a service design approach to saying, you know, rather than seeing research and insight as going here is the answer. Now off you go. It's more of a collaboration and a coming together. So I think workshops is the sort of one word answer to say, how do you get the knowledge of people within the business and pull that together yeah. with the understanding of customers that you get from customer insights? And I guess service design as a discipline is, is kind of the answer to that. So what that will actually look like on the ground is usually, I think, workshops it doesn't have to be, but I think that's usually the go to tool. Uh, I'm a big fan, as I know I've mentioned on the podcast many, many times, but I'm a big fan of service blueprint workshops when it comes to, to sort of journey mapping and site work uh, as a really good way to pull together the customer view with the internal view and that, that knowledge of what actually happens on the ground. More generally, I think if you were to say, you know, how do we go about action planning with the results of a survey? I think a series of quite in-depth workshops that are structured around Let's make sure we understand what customers are saying, then you know, open up and explore lots of different ways forward. But then I think the, the bit that a lot of people miss is they, they have a big, big brainstorming session, but they never they never really get to an action plan. So I think you need that sort of convergent thinking stage at some yeah. point to say, well, okay, there's loads of good ideas here, but what are we actually going to do? Uh, so let's yeah. choose some of those and get people committed to specific actions against a specific timescale. And there's loads of ways yeah. to approach that. I think, I think in by and large, what seems to work best is to have teams focused on priorities for improvement that are drawn from departments across the business. It, there's loads of different ways to approach it, but that's, that, to me, yeah. seems to be the one that, that has delivered most for clients I've worked with. I know it's slightly against TLF company policy to give you credit, but 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 one of the things of yours that I've used quite quite a lot in sort of explaining this next step is is, is you know the customer journey mapping but, but the phrase on stage and off stage you know and the customer will tell you about the performance they've seen on stage and whether they liked it and whether they didn't like it and all that sort of stuff but 
when you talk about the organ when you go to the organization and you can put that to them you have to start saying okay but why did the customer say that you you know they didn't explicitly talk about the lighting of the performance or the sound or the scenery but it's all built in there and that's actually all really important now the fact the customer didn't mention it or say the show was a success because the lighting didn't ever go off mm. you know it doesn't mean it isn't anything other than vital and i think it's a really good way of getting people to see that their offstage roles are really vital and really important to providing that overall experience that happens you know on stage and sometimes i think customers or sometimes our clients want customers to give them the answers tell us how you'd make it more satisfied well customers don't you know it's the whole lens of the customer with the wrong prescription glasses in those lens if you're asking a customer to do that they don't know you're the expert they can tell you how they can feel they can tell you what they can see they can articulate all that but it's your lighting technician or your sound engineer or your acting coach that has to sort of interpret what they're saying to make that experience to make that experience better Absolutely. Yeah, I, I can't claim credit for that metaphor, sadly, but but yeah, that onstage backstage metaphor is a really good way to capture the, the fact that customers don't see what goes towards creating their experience. So exactly as you're saying, they've got no idea how to make it better often. They just know what they weren't happy with. They don't really know why. Uh, and that's why a service blueprint is such a great tool, because it gets everyone in the organisation ought to be in a service blueprint somewhere. Otherwise, yeah. I mean, with a what couple doing of there? exceptions, <laughs> why are we employing you? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> okay. Okay. I think, um, obviously, besides involving employees, we have to consider involving customers. And that's what we're going to cover in the next chapter. Have you anything else to say about involving employees? I think that'll do for now. Thank you. Okay. So we'll be back next time doing chapter 17 on involving customers. Thanks for listening. Uh, if you're using iTunes, please subscribe, rate and review us. And if you want to get in touch, you can find us on Twitter at TLF Research or at TLFresearch.com. Cheers, everyone.